Welcome to Richmond Kickers Weekly. My name is Daryl Grove. I was at City Stadium for the first half. Mm-hmm. I'm joined by Taylor Rockwell, who's at City Stadium for the second half. We traded off. We did, we did a half-time substitution. We wore the same clothes, too, so no one would know the difference. I know. So Kickers president, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Spear, kind of... The first thing you said to us wasn't hello, it was... Is it blue shirt night? Burn. Solid burn, burn. by that sphere. Solid burn from the yes. kicker's president. Yes. I'm sure everybody else gets a more friendly welcome at City Stadium. I would hope so. <laughs> I would think so. I doubt he's got like uh, tongue-in-cheek burns for every single person that walks through the door. <laughs> maybe. There'd be several thousand burns. He'd have maybe to work pretty hard. He's done his research. He does, he does seem to hustle, so maybe it's possible. He does. He talks to a lot of people. Um, the game we're talking about is yeah. this past Saturday's game, Richmond Kickers hosting Lansing Ignite once again. It was mm. our third game against them. Best result so far. Yeah. <laughs> Kickers 2. Oh, man. Lansing Ignite 2. Yes. Um, later in the show, uh, you'll be talking to Bobby Warshaw mm-hmm. about the Kickers US Open Cup game against mm-hmm. Virginia United. I sure will. But I- right now, we're going to be talking Lansing again because it's a weird game that it's one of those when Kickers uh, get the equalizer very late. 90 second Jackson. minute. Yes. There you go. So it feels like a more uplifting moment yeah. because they find a way to get a point when it seemed like all was lost. Yeah, crowd went home happy. From what I could tell. Exactly, but then it's one of those when you look back on it and think, should they be happy or should it have been a (laughs) a far less close affair than it ended up being? Well, we did see, and I think this happened in public so we can talk about it, we saw David Bulow, uh, the head coach, Mm -hmm. gather the team around afterwards and it seemed like some concerns were addressed in a sort of uh, circular, not firing squad, circular chat. No. I mean, and it wasn't, I was maybe 20 yards away from it. It wasn't loud enough for me to hear, like, screaming and shouting and curses. Were you trying? Did you put, like, a glass to your ear to try and amplify it? I was a little nervous. <laughs> I, I felt like I felt like there was a lot of raw emotion in there, and yeah. if I got a little too close, I was either going to be yelled at by kickers personnel, or maybe Beulah would just turn around and scream yeah. at me. You'd so banish Ed from City Stadium. Yes, exactly. Rip the press pass from your neck. Exactly. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> we got field pass, so why not? Uh, but the vibe I got was... You know, it's good that we got the point in the mm-hmm. end. This was not a a good team, which is not meant to be disrespectful of Lansing. I don't know how I could not be saying they that. haven't got any points against any Ex- other team except the Richmond exactly. Kickers. And yeah. it's a team that works really, really hard and presses. But when you have a team that works really, really hard, if you can play through them technically, you find a way to win. Yeah. And I think that was what was so frustrating for Coach Bulow was that it didn't feel like the kickers necessarily stuck to that game plan and yep. found a way to play through them and kind of ended up once again playing into Lansing's game plan of put some pressure on, make them panic, and get goals from it. Yeah, I mean, and that did happen for mm-hmm. at least one goal, right? Before we dig into the details sure. of sort of what sort of went wrong, like maybe what we think maybe they were addressing, I just want to say that I actually quite like the idea. I think it's very clear-eyed to even like, what, just a couple minutes after a dramatic late equaliser to talk about what went wrong. Because I know if it was me, I would be carried away with, well done, boys, we got the equaliser. That would be my whole speech. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I I think, and I don't mean mean this to be so harsh, but like, that's why that wouldn't be a good coaching moment. Yes, I agree, yeah. Yeah, because if you get caught in that moment. I mean, I'm good in hindsight. Yeah, true. Uh, (laughs) But it's like in that moment, if you're focused on the like, hey, we found a way to get one back. Great job, everybody. Great job. It sort of negates all that came before it when there were like stupid mistakes and simple errors that did allow Lansing to get back into this game because yep. it's worth noting kickers took the lead yes, and yes. I think it's really hard against the run of play 
true. In my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, on, a, it's on a counterattack, so yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Uh, but it, it feels like in that moment, it's really difficult if you're the coach to then go back the next day and say, hey, actually, I know I was really amped <laughs> up. And I also know from talking to Coach Bulow, we've had him in studio, from talking to him in between games, that he, I think he's not one who believes in sort of going back and redressing negative issues from the last game. It's more about, like, what can we learn from it? How do we move forward? Yeah. And that then I think you can't kind of berate players the day after. That doesn't really help with you locker You high-five them one day and yeah. you wag your finger at them the next you, day. It's yeah. kind of got to be a aggressively wag your finger at them immediately after the game. Uh-huh. Then maybe pick them up a little bit, but look to them as professional soccer players to pick themselves up and know that maybe they need to hold themselves to a higher standard. So before we enter the goals, uh, let's dig into what we think might have been the problems that David Buller was addressing. And sure. we, don't say, we don't necessarily say this with any inside knowledge. This is just from watching the game yeah. and sort of... What we what we saw as the problems, which we're hoping is what the kickers' coaching staff also saw, yes, um, as the problem. I mean, it starts with the Lansing press, mm-hmm. right? And the kickers, I would say, mostly inability to to bypass it. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? It is, uh, and I think this is one thing where we can say that, like, when we talked uh, to Coach Bulow, he mentioned that like they pressed, but it wasn't like that heavy of a press. It yeah. wasn't that determined of a press. It wasn't like like I mean, not saying that anybody could do what Liverpool did against Barcelona yesterday, but it wasn't that level of like as soon as you get the ball, someone's on you. Yeah, you yeah. have no time to breathe for being you're knocking people over. There yeah, were that wasn't of, happening. No, there were plenty of times when it was a like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, then a player gets there, mm. and while that still might not sound like that much, it really is if you're trying to play a high tempo possession ball on the ground game that should be enough time to find some open passes and they weren't coming off at least in the first half and then certainly in the second half so for the entire game basically <laughs> so when we've seen Lansing before yeah. and again it's our third time watching Lansing against mm-hmm. the kickers I think we described the, the front three press yeah. as more of a blockade right it's not like a run you down knock yeah. you over it's more sort of we stand high mostly just the three of them to begin with and block off the space yep. and then it's on the kickers to find space and and play through it. And the positional play of the kickers, where you have sort of guys distributed around the field to give options, we think should be enough for them to play through. And yet too often, it absolutely wasn't. It was not. And I think, the, so if you're looking at this, like from a, like a, above, above the ground, you can see down and see the tactics of it. You've got basically Maxi Rodriguez for the kickers. He drops in. Center back spread wide. Now you've got a back three in possession. So mm-hmm. say Akira Fitzgerald makes a save. Goal Everybody kicker. gets into their kind of default shape. That's where the kickers would be. And then I think Fitzgerald is usually looking to play it to Maxi Rodriguez, kind of roll it out, and that's when kickers restart possession. So if you have those three, and then you have, as you said, I think the Lansing blockade of the kind of three attackers in front, mm-hmm. that really does, especially with Maxi Rodriguez, one of your two central midfielders, when he drops in, it makes it difficult to find that other pass to, in this case, Will Hughes, who's the other central midfielder. Josh Hughes. Josh Hughes, excuse me. I always want to make him Will Hughes. Josh Hughes. Um, and so then you kind of can't play that ball unless there's a lot of running around and Joe Gallardo yeah. drops in and there wasn't as much of that, I think. So it kind of forces the center backs to play it back and forth. You also Maybe, have your fullbacks, right? Bolduc yeah. uh, wide right and in this case uh, Bubka Keita wide left. They push up a little bit when they, Max Rodriguez drops Exactly. In. And that's where the second wave, I would say, of like Lansing's press factors in because those they're kind of outside fullbacks usually for Lansing are the ones who then aggressively step forward yeah. um, and kind of get to the Richmond Kickers fullbacks. So then even if you do end up playing that ball wide to, say, Abubakar Keita on the left, more often than not, he's got a defender running at him. He's got to kind of turn and play it back. Ideally, he plays it backwards back to his own teammates. We'll talk not about the case. we'll talk about that goal maybe later on. But so it ends up being this weird, like almost like half moon of possession, where you work it from like left, like left back to left center back to center to Maxi Rodriguez to the other center back out to the right, 
and then back across. And there yeah. wasn't a lot of I saw like probing passes into the middle of the field. It felt like either they would do those on occasion when maybe Lansing had not necessarily like moved as that blockade together. Maybe that central pass was on, but a lot more often we saw eventually a long ball over the top, usually looking for Dennis Chin yeah. or uh, Matai Mwape, who are both pretty good, pretty pacey, uh, Chin big, Mwape fast, so you kind of have that kind of like double threat, yeah. but it's not quite keeping the ball on the ground playing through the middle. So you notice this as well. Uh, you notice this. I didn't mm-hmm. notice this. Um, often when kickers are like stuck in possession, they've got yep. the blockade and they, you know, they can't find a way out, Gallardo and Hughes would come deep to maybe offer more options, right? Yeah. which would make sense, right? To try and overload the midfield so somebody's open. But by the time that had happened, that's when the kickers were sort of under pressure and then a Kwai or a fullback would eventually just go long, right? Mm-hmm. To like Mape um, or Chin or maybe even Jackson through the middle. But by that point, because all the midfielders have come deep, even if those guys get the ball, and most often they didn't, right? It would just be in the channels and they'd try and chase it down. Even if they get to the ball... There's, there's not enough guys around because everybody's come back to show for the ball. Right? Yeah, the, the two things that you just said there that I think are very key are by the time that happened and by that point. And I think <laughs> that's, that is sort of the, I think, kind of dual existence of the Richmond Kickers right now, which is a very deep way of putting a League One team, but yeah. whatever. Um, I think it's that, like, if you're going to play— Bobby Walsh would love this. Uh, yeah, uh, hopefully he listens. <laughs> he's he's going to listen to the second half of the show with just him in it, right? That checks out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we love you, Bobby. Uh, but, like, if you're trying to play it on the ground, quick passing soccer, then those—it can't be by the time they're ready to play that ball, by the time those, those guys drop in, then that passes on. It's got to be— Ball goes wide, ball goes central, and Joe Gallardo is there. He turns and finds Hughes. Yeah. Not Will Hughes, by the way. Uh, but, like, it's got to be much more automatic. And I think right now it's still a sort of like, oh, right, I'm supposed to go. Oh, I should probably check in there. Oh, I should probably drop in yeah, there. Yeah. And it's not the kind of automatic thinking that you need for that system to work. And it eventually then, yeah, then they drop in, then you go long. And now maybe that works because maybe Lansing have stepped up too high. Maybe they sent, like, defenders too far forward. But then there's no support. And so yeah. then you kind of just end up stuck in two worlds. All right. So if we're going to point the finger of blame, mm-hmm. is it Gardo and Hughes need to drop faster, come and show faster? Or is it that the uh, defenders or Maxi Rodriguez with the ball need to be braver and sort of not settle for going long when Gallardo has, like, say, come back and shown for it? I would say the latter. I think that, okay. that's a big one. Um, I, and I'm not even going to say both. I'm going to say the latter. All right, because, I like I, because I think uh, Hughes and Joe Gallardo have, uh, like, their job is to kind of stay central there, I think. I think what we're talking about is, like, if you're going to try to play through that, like, blockade, then maybe they could drop in a little bit faster. But for purposes of teams that maybe sit off a little bit, don't press as much, I think, yeah, you need a little bit more kind of aggressive on-the-ball running from a or Shinovsky or Maxi Rodriguez. That, you know, we've seen that with with uh, fullbacks or excuse me, centerbacks for England in the last World Cup, where it was like Johnstones would get that ball and push forward twenty yards, yeah. and now the other team has to react to that. They've got to pull somebody out, yeah. and maybe that opens up space. In Stones the middle. would even like pass into midfield and then make a run off the midfield yeah. and just abandon his centre back duties temporarily mm-hmm. and create new angles. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible to watch. And and the thing that we both noticed because we watched this game as you said, uh, different halves at the stadium, and then yeah. we went back and rewatched chunks. And the thing that both of us uh, pulled up was in the sixth minute, Connor Shinovsky has kind of moved to that right center back spot, gets the ball from Maxi Rodriguez and plays a 30, 40 yard ball on yeah. the ground, splits players into proper breaking the lines pass. Right? Yeah, I think it's into the feet of Gallardo. I it is, except Gallardo steps over it. There you go. And lets the ball run to, I believe, Chin. And mm-hmm. then Chin plays it over the top for Jackson. It's yeah. a little too long and it goes through to the goalkeeper. But it was thrilling it's it's what this type of soccer i think is supposed to look like it's a brave pass from a defender that breaks the lines mm-hmm. it's some misdirection from an attacking midfielder and then it's a quick ball through to take lansing by surprise i think this is what the kickers are supposed to look like but i think the key element is the 
bravery of Shinoski, like being willing to play a line breaking pass, and the misdirection from Gallardo. And I think that's what's mostly that's what that was missing a lot of it, right? hundred percent agree. We, so last week we were praising the win over Chattanooga. Josh Hughes had the the misdirection yeah. with those clever like facing one way, uh, deftly yeah, like reverse passes, passes, reverse yeah. passes. Yeah. So maybe that's what's maybe that's the the missing element. Yeah, and I think like after the first game, we were both a little bit concerned about Shinoski's lack of pace yes. and some of his positioning. But I think we saw. I think this is your point actually. So forgive me for taking it, but like we saw in this game why he keeps getting that start why he does seem to be yes. the preferred center back alongside Aque is because uh-huh. he can play these balls he can be good in position I didn't realize how great his passing was me, me neither and especially once we saw uh, this is the second straight game that we've seen him step into like a defensive midfield role near the end of the game Yeah, like, jumping forward he ends up getting the assist because yeah, yeah. he splits two players to, into the feet of Daniel Jackson and so I feel like the and he's not even actually playing defensive midfield at that point he's still playing center back he's just been brave enough to yeah, step out with the ball in. and stride forward yeah yeah you're right uh, so but I so I still think they have players who are capable of making those passes, and maybe it just requires a little bit more belief, a little bit more uh, maybe presence in, from the midfield. And then I think the other one that we haven't quite talked about. Sorry, go ahead before I move on. I was going to say a lot of this rests on Maxi Rodriguez, mm-hmm. um, and I think because he's the central guy, it all, almost depends on him having a good game and being able to find those passes. And when you have moments like, I think in like the fourth minute or so, there's a moment where Rodriguez has the ball in that central spot where he is and plays a pass to Balduk that's mm-hmm. short, and I think it's Moon intercepts and hits the bar for Lansing. This could yeah. be a disastrous start Forgot about that. for the kickers. I actually think Max Rodriguez is a really good player. We've mm-hmm. seen great stuff from him. We've seen a great goal from him. But it's, it's almost like the system really depends on him having a good day. right? Yes. And maybe it's not a coincidence the kickers equalize after Rodriguez comes off on, on this day. Yes, yeah? that's, that's a good point. It's also worth noting uh, Bobby Warshaw uh, when we talk later on in this episode, we'll talk about a similar issue. It's uh, Nick Retzlaff in the U.S. Open Cup. Game. Was he in the maxi role? He, he was, wasn't, right? Yeah, but similar concerns from Bobby Warshaw, like too much on one player, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and then the, and and the other thing I would say that maybe needs to improve from the kickers, not just because it's how they concede a goal, but because I think if you are going to play wide to your fullbacks to alleviate some of that like front three blockade from Lansing, your fullbacks have to play quickly, and I don't just mean they have to like get down the line really fast dribbling. I mean that they've got to be able to turn quickly, and maybe then they find Joe Gallardo, maybe they find Will Hughes. Yeah, I said, well, here's again. Yeah, I tried. Uh, but maybe they well, find... Will Hughes play for Watford? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, English guy with like bleach blonde hair. That checks yeah. out, yes. Maybe it's Will Hughes. You don't know. Yeah, it's Josh Hughes. I mean, if but the like, could get him, we should get him. But if your fullbacks can play <laughs> that kind of like the V like pass that like gets around the blockade, yeah, yeah. and then suddenly you've bypassed that and put yourself in a stronger position, I think the fullbacks could be a little bit better with some of that incisive passing as well. Yes. And then that suddenly leads to more numbers and more attacking positions, but with the ball kind of at the feet as opposed to maybe a little bit of a hopeful long ball because not much else is on or maybe just dropping it back to the center back because you don't want to risk conceding possession in midfield. Okay, I thought you were alluding to the Abubakar Keita sure. mistake for the Lansing equalizer. Do you want to start with the kicker's first goal though? Sure. Maybe we'll go through these goals mm-hmm. uh, chronologically. It's Dennis Chin mm-hmm. um, on the score sheet for the Richmond kickers. Um, this goal starts, um, I'm doing this from memory, starts with maybe a Balduke win. Does he kind of bravely it's, step out and uh, like just keep snapping at someone's ankles until he gets the ball? I would actually go a little <laughs> bit further back. Yes, okay. to your point, that is when they win the ball back. It's a combination of Bolduke and Matai Mawape in their battling. They pick up the ball up. But I want to go even a little bit further back to it's actually Daniel Jackson running back and battling and battling and battling. And I think Lansing are still able to kind of keep possession and pass the ball. Then Bolduke oh, win yeah. it. Yeah, Jackson's like in the almost like in the extreme right back spot. He's got yeah. a corner flag. Right? I think he's. I think he's. Yeah, he's like on the end. Defending line. a corner. That's why we're yeah. defending a corner. But yeah. but I just. I I guess that stands out because I know that uh, like Jackson, I think had been frustrated by like he hadn't been able to get on the score sheet yet this season, and I think 
like so it's easy when you have a center forward who's starting games to look at that and think like well he should be scoring goals that's the problem but it's the these other things that he's doing that I think are very valuable so yeah. I, I just wanted to add credit there because he eventually gets the so equalizer fight in the corner but yeah but yeah. there's that like battable in the corner kicker's then able to win he, the ball doesn't he win it and then kind of uh, give it away immediately little bit, little and bit. that's when Balduk has to win it back yeah there's that <laughs> okay. but it's uh, Balduk and Mwape uh, battle I think Mwape ends up getting the ball or dribbling away with the ball yes and then the, it's got a little acceleration right that breaks it open mm-hmm. yeah. and then this is the key thing and this is I think a pattern of play is the big switch yes. that uh, Mwape immediately switches all the way to the other side of the field to, to Chin yeah. but I think with his right foot by the way mm-hmm. I think I am off the bandwagon of thinking Mwape is too left footed because right. he had the right footed cross to Guerrero yeah. last week he's got this switch mm-hmm. with his right foot this week he's a, he's a not a two-footed player but he's at least not like in Jordan Morris territory Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying? Think, I think I had a conversation. Uh, our, our friend and listener, Eddie Horatius, uh, joined us for this game. Yeah. Uh, again, we split halves. It was a weird, like, custody moment where, <laughs> where he walked up and you, like, I handed him off to Yes, you. exactly. Uh, but he, he, he kind of uh, criticized gently, uh, in a very friendly way, that we, we slash me always go after Jordan Morris for only using one foot. Uh-huh. I'm fine with it still. <laughs> uh, but yes, in this case, I think it, it's, it's a great ball from Matai Mwape. Yep. But it's Switch also, but it's doubly important because when you have the counter attack it's about sort of creating further vulnerability for the opponent and if Mwape just kind of dribbles head down as fast as he can head for the that's sort of <laughs> easy to deal with even if you're a defense in transition it's one player running at you yeah just kind of push him to the corner flag and then you get numbers back show him to the outside that's the classic defensive move right? exactly yeah. but when that big switch happens now suddenly you're running one way you've got to kind of transition back and run the other way yeah, and now yeah, you've yeah. got to worry but then you've got to make sure you still track Mwape so maybe that pulls one player further out and I think that switch kind of doubles down on the efficiency of the counterattack, and then it's good creation of one-two passing in there yeah. as well. Doesn't Chin kind of like lift it um, into the path of Hughes? It's like mm-hmm. a clever, slightly disguised pass. For yep. the, essentially, Hughes gives it back. It's a nice one-two. And then it's weirdly easy to finish in that, uh, I guess it's just to, to Chin's left. I don't know if it's yep. the near post or the far post at, at that point. Uh, but because of the quick one-two, mm-hmm. it makes it easy to finish. Like, I think. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I guess, what I'm getting at with what I think the kickers could do better is when they're like do quick passing and quick decision making and even put a long ball in there but it's still that quick decision to play that long ball then it's a quick pass in then it's a quick pass back then it's a quick shot you don't let the opposition really get set or deal with it appropriately and that's how it ends up 1-0 for the kickers alright again against the run of play against the um, run of play. And noting, just before this um, Akira Fitzgerald had kicked it directly into um, a Lansing center yeah, forward we don't need to talk about this that. again could have been bad we don't need to talk but about that but Lansing, let's talk about the 58th minute yeah shall so we? Lansing get their equalizer um, in the 58th minute mm-hmm Oh, it is. Um, I've forgotten the name of the striker. Excuse me. Do you have it noted down? Uh, I do. It is Ricky Lopez Espin, who had subbed in at halftime. Uh, but I think you've got to give credit to Rafa uh, Mensigan, I think is how you pronounce it, because he's the one who wins the ball back, is I guess how I'm going to put that. Dribbles across, <laughs> lays it off for Ricky Lopez Espin, who eventually finishes. But this is sort of the tale of what we've been talking about, because yep. you said it, uh, it's this a goal This is the Abubakar Keita mistake yeah. goal, essentially. Kicker's right. goal kick. Uh, Fitzgerald plays to Akwe. Akwe has, like, the, like I think he's in the like left center back position at yep. this point, plays it wide to Abubakar Keita. And this is where, if you're like just watching this and thinking, like, oh, he's under pressure, if that's me, I probably make a similar mistake to what Abubakar Keita makes because I'm not used to playing against even that level of pressure. Mm-hmm. But it's not as though he was immediately like had somebody in his back. Like, he has time to take a touch and try to turn. He has time to maybe play this into, I believe it's Hughes who's shown for him. He could even drop it back to Akwe if need be. That's what I think you spotted Matai Mawape is 
angrily gesturing about it after the yeah. ball goes into the goal. Well, he's pointing forward as in just, just launch yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But I think by the time uh, Bubakakata does make the pass, mm-hmm. all options have been closed down. Yeah. Um, which is, one, credit to Lansing for closing him down quickly. But I think it's like a, a problem of Kata's own making. Yep. Because as we talked about earlier, you've got to be fast, right? Yeah. And he was kind of took his time receiving the ball, turning around, doing this Well, he doesn't even turn. He just like receives the ball... Then I think wait, and then there's a player on his back. And I think that sort of at that point, okay, well, I'm not going to turn up the line. Yeah. I do think that when a player's running at you, you have the ability to kind of fake and take it with the outside of your right and kind of turn down this that line. This is the bravery we're talking about, right? Yeah. Maybe just take the risk and take him on. Yeah. yeah. Because and even then, Maybe it won't come off, but it, also it could come off. Yeah, maybe it won't come off and maybe you get stuck, possibly. Yeah. But also Probably equally, a throw-in at that point. Equally right? likely, yeah. yeah. You either concede a throw-in, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. You win a throw-in, that's probably better or you draw foul and then that's even better so like I think that would have worked I think if he had played a one touch pass central with enough force behind it it finds a teammate and then they can play through and that teammate can turn and now you've pulled Lansing all to one side and spread it to the other yeah. but if you put your foot on the ball and then kind of look around and then make your decision that's going to be problematic and then if you basically choose to pass it directly to a Lansing player instead of one of your two teammates that's the worst option so he definitely used his weaker foot right? he did it was his he right foot. Receives and, with his left, takes another touch with his yeah. left, passes back with his right. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's obviously not a good moment for mm-hmm. Bubakar Keita, but I think this is kind of what happens when you get a very talented 19-year-old player in only his second professional game, his first professional start. I think it's kind of part of the bumpy course of getting a talented young player professional first team minutes is there's going to be some mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And obviously it's not good for this moment and for the kicker's points tally um, in this game. But long term for Abubakar Keita, I think this is uh, essentially a learning experience along the way to becoming a really good professional. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and he tries to make up for it because... He certainly I, does. He chases I, it down. <laughs> yeah. I just want to add, like, there are sometimes when we can sort of analyze what we think a player is doing, like, oh, he overhit this pass. Oh, he was looking in that direction but didn't see this. I genuinely don't know what he was trying to do because it is a pass straight to Rafa Mensingen of yeah. Lansing. Like, it's not in like, the general direction of one player or the other. It's, it's not, right it's, at that It's between player. Hughes yeah. and Akwai, right? Yeah. yeah. So And then uh, Mensingen kind of dribbles, as I said, across the box. The kickers are trying to scramble back to kind of get positioning as best they can. Abubakar Keita keeps running across, keeps trying to block it, yeah. puts in a, a diving challenge as uh, Ricky Lopez Espen hits the shot. Maybe that puts off Akira Fitzgerald a little bit. There's a couple other players who maybe are screening him as well. But it's one of those... I think it looks worse than it actually is. I do think Akira Fitzgerald could have done better. Yeah. But it's it's always really hard to if you're gonna try to like dive down low to make the save, if it's really close to your to your feet, as it was in this case, it really is that much harder to get down and still get a hand to yeah. it while getting your feet Should out of the way. It's easier for sure to keep it. You would think. You would think. <laughs> I've got two more notes on uh Bubka Keita. Sure. Um one, I think the reason he starts this game is because the World the U twenty World Cup yep. roster announcement is coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's a case of get Keita as many minutes as possible because we want to prove to Tabramas that he's ready for the U20 World Cup because he has a really good chance of making that roster, mm-hmm. right? I think maybe if you were picking it on form, uh, Scott Thompson maybe should have started at left back. So I think this might be uh, the kickers doing Bubakar Keita a favour, right? It could be. Yeah, right, and just, you know, contributing to his professional development. It's also just worth noting, I want to like balance out this very bad moment that he has with a very good moment. Okay. Um, in the first half, I believe there's a moment where Celso, who had caused us all kinds of trouble in the past, right, is accelerating down the right wing, has a few yards head start on a Bubakar Keita. Keita 
runs him down, gets ahead of him, puts mm-hmm. in a great slide tackle mm-hmm. to uh, to stop it happening. So at least Keita also has one great moment okay. to almost balance out this not very good moment. Yeah, I guess, but that's fine. But that's what a defender's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah all right. They're not supposed to concede possession that leads directly to a goal. So uh, yeah, okay. I appreciate that you don't want to be too harsh on a U20 player. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think also that's part of getting better is you've got to recognize moments where you are at fault, and I think this is him at fault. Well, speaking of being at fault, mm-hmm. let's get to the goal that puts Lansing ahead in the 70th minute. Let's do it. It's Frick, right, who puts the ball in the back of the net? Yes. Or is it the other defender? It's Frick. It's Frick. Who scores it? Or, or Fricky, or however you pronounce it. I don't really know. But I, what I do know is that it's a, it's a couple different Lansing corners, uh, and that's important to me because in the corner preceding this one, they do pretty much the exact same thing. It's identical, right? It's because a ball setup hit. is the same and yeah. Lansing's approach is the same. We think it's Koifik at the back post for Lansing. It's a ball that it looks overhit. Uh, but I think knowing now that it's basically they do the exact same thing two times in a row, suddenly it's like, ooh, okay, maybe that's a thing that yep. they've identified is put it all the way to the back foot post. Koifik will be there to head it back across. And when we saw the first one, he reacts to the header as though he was trying to put it on frame and kind of puts the hands to the head. And I now wonder if he maybe just kind of mishit the header because it's supposed to be like almost a centering pass with yep. the head. So then when they do it again the second time, this time the header comes off, this time it's turned into goal by Frick. But it's also worth noting that the kickers really don't do much to like, necessarily defend the header. Daniel Jackson tries to get there, but I think his job is to kind of to, to defend the far post but close, not necessarily to go like out wide in case the ball spills all the way into the touchline. Yeah. So I think Which he's, is to challenge, yeah. challenge Koifik, right? I mean, yes, but I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like if it's to challenge Koifik, he would be marking Koifik. Like, I think that's what oh, I'm okay. saying. Is like I think he's been told kind of stay by the six-yard box, maybe the far end of the six-yard box away from where the corner's being taken, but I don't think it's like make sure you mark that player. Well, this is all part of the confusion of yeah. What are the kickers doing um, on defending corner kicks, right? So it looks mostly yeah. zonal to me, mm-hmm. right? It ends up with Jackson challenging Koifik most times because that's what Lansing are going for. So someone has to challenge him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or attack the ball. That's what Jackson's doing. Um, but then you have a lot of kickers, players clustered around the uh, edge of the six-yard box at the far post and then two men on the near post. Mm-hmm. And then Lansing players behind those kickers players who are clustered at the far post – and it's almost like the kickers seem happy with those players being goal side of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand what the plan is. Because in the end, when um, when Koifik heads it you know, back across, he essentially yeah. heads it into the six-yard box. That's why Frick is wide open to just turn it past to Kira yeah. Fitzgerald. Because all the kickers players are the other side of him. He's behind them. And they don't seem concerned about it. No. Like, it doesn't seem like that was a mistake. It seems like that was part of the plan. And um, the thing I'm struggling with is maybe we need to ask uh, David Bulow about this. Mm-hmm. But... I don't understand why that's the plan. I don't understand how that helps you defend a corner. Uh, the only way I could see it making sense is if you've got a goalkeeper who is very commanding coming off the line yeah. to win balls in the air. And and so you've set it up that like six-yard box is cleared out so you don't have anybody screening. He's not obstructed. He can run out, catch that ball, punch it clear, whatever. So all the six-yard box belongs to the goalkeeper. Yeah. Defenders just do your job outside of it. Yeah. Okay. The two marks against that would be, number one, Akira Fitzgerald is not a six-foot-five tall goalkeeper uh-huh. who we would think of as like being commanding in the air yeah. but number two he stays on his line so like throughout yeah. both of these corners it's not as though he comes out it's not like we ever see him look to come out and try to collect that ball yeah. so yeah, then when you've got almost nose to nose with him when, yeah. he's, when he finishes and so it's really confusing because in the end you've got kind of the players creating a six yard perimeter around the goal that Lansing players occupy yeah. and then Akir Fitzgerald is on his line and I, I really don't know all I can figure is that they're supposed to attack. This is my best like 
analysis that I can give. Both of these goals were confusing to me. I'll put it that way because I don't know what Keita was aiming for with that first pass. And here I don't really know if I can say for sure what the kickers are trying to do. My best guess is that they're playing in a zone. Yeah. Their goal is you attack your zones. You find a way to get to your zone, win that header. And I think maybe that's what Lansing are targeting is that it's difficult to attack a quote-unquote overhit ball way across goal to the other side of the goal. And so I think then you're having to react to it. If you're Daniel Jackson, you can't really attack it. You've got to kind of try to get to it and try to put uh, Koifik off if you can. And then I think when that header comes back across, now the kickers have like kind of lost that zone attack approach. Instead, it's like, where's the ball? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. And you lose a little bit of that focus. You lose a little bit of that awareness of where potential marks might be. So the other, th- the other thing I can think is the two guys who are standing on the near post, mm-hmm. I think one of them is Chin. I actually can't, I can't remember. But there are definitely two guys on the near post. Maybe they're supposed to step out after that. Is the other one, yeah. Okay, so it's maybe it's, let's say it's Chin and Kater, which makes sense, right? To the left-sided players are on the sort of left-sided post. Mm-hmm. Maybe those guys, after the first ball is say won by either the kickers or Lansing, maybe they're supposed to step out, and then if that ball comes in because uh, Koifik wins the header, then Frick's offside. Mm-hmm. So maybe the blame is on uh, Chin and Kater for not stepping out and catching them offside. Is that possibly the plan? Uh, if it is the plan, I looked at that. It's not Chin who's at fault. And I like I am hesitant to go double down on this, but it is absolutely Abubakar Keita who's the deepest of anybody. I hope Tab Ramos doesn't listen to this show. Yeah, he probably doesn't, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, he is the deepest. Again, though, that's a really risky strategy to step out when the ball is still, again, only six yards from the end line when yeah. that header happens. So to step out, quote-unquote, is to move five yards away from goal, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think you're still then... Kickers have, as far as I could tell, literally every outfield player in the 18 defending this. So how it is then that there are two, three Lansing players unmarked, I don't fully get. And it feels like it's just a – maybe it's a problem of how they're choosing to defend corners. Maybe it's Lansing identifying a vulnerability. Maybe it's the players switching off. Maybe it's a combination of all three. But it's a thing that definitely has to be resolved because it looks like an area of vulnerability right now. We're going to have to do some journalism, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We're going to have to put on our fedoras, put a little ticket in it that says press, and we're going to have to ask David Bulow – What's the plan on corner kicks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, defending them. All right. I mean, I don't really feel comfortable wearing a fedora, but <laughs> if you want to go that route, sure. I mean, more likely a baseball cap. Uh, if you're going to do that, <laughs> if you're going to put the fedora on, then I will uh, bring the giant flashbulb camera to stand next to you, and then we can, uh, we can just go old school press that way. <laughs> well, one moment caught on camera. And a typewriter. After this game. Obviously a typewriter. One moment caught on camera after this game is David Bulow giving Daniel Jackson a big kiss on the cheek yeah. post-match yeah. because he does score he does. a 90-second minute equaliser. So let's get to how this happy moment happens. Uh, sure. Uh, it's in the 90, 92nd yeah. minute. And there's been a shape change in the lead-up to it, Here which is, I think is interesting. Wait, you, can, you can talk about that, then okay. I'll tell you about the thing I don't like about this moment. Okay. You don't like the kickers equalizer? Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> I like it. It's fine. Uh, but uh, when you're watching this on ESPN Plus to watch the replay, mm-hmm. you can't like easily fast forward and rewind, so you have to cl- keep clicking back. Yeah. So I had to watch John Mars be Princess Leia over and over <laughs> again. And it's John Mars as Princess Leia looking very concerned because the <laughs> kickers are about to lose a game. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like dressed full Princess Leia. John Mars yeah. could be the commanding goalkeeper if you needed him to be. Uh, <laughs> instead, just looks like a very large... Very concerned Princess Leia. Yeah, yeah. And I kept feeling sad for him. <laughs> yeah, well, he ends happy. Yes, he so does. does that, that's, right? that's true. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in the 84th minute, mm-hmm. it's Maxi Rodriguez comes out. Yep. And I think this is key, um, not because I think Rodriguez had a terrible, terrible game, but because it's a little bit of an abandoned, abandonment, I think, of we're going to pass slowly and all that. Because kickers end up in what I think is essentially a straight up, like, 
4-4-2 with one defensive midfielder, one attacking midfielder, so maybe a 4-1-3-2 with two flying wingers, right? Pavone down the right, um, and Bolduc has moved up to play down the left. And two strikers, it ends up being Jackson and Boateng. Mm-hmm. So it really is the kicker just being like, all right, let's go for it last few minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's Jackson gets the goal from that Shinoski thing where we talk about him coming out of the back. Yeah. So the wingers aren't necessarily involved, but at least it's a change in mindset and approach for the kickers for the last few minutes. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, it's, it's more numbers committed forward, but in the end, I think it's just kind of a, like, I appreciate you saying all that. It doesn't necessarily factor into what's happening, I guess, other than that well, Lansing maybe spread then? a little bit more. Shinoski is more central, mm-hmm. for one thing, when he comes out with the ball, because okay. he's not been spread wide by having a defensive mm-hmm. midfielder come and sit between uh, him and Akwai. There's, right. there's one thing, right? Okay. It's, it's evidence that maybe um, other guys, apart from Maxi Rodriguez, are capable of bringing the ball out and hitting line-breaking passes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so Shinoski ends up splitting the defenders, plays into Daniel Jackson, and it's it's really just a, I the reason why I was kind of down on that is just because I think it's a really great moment from Daniel Jackson to yeah. have the awareness to basically receive with his like right foot studs and turn on the same motion to set to goal to begin to with, right? Yeah, yeah, and it and it kind of again goes back to what we've been talking about that when it's quick decision making it causes problems and here I don't think the Lansing players see that turn coming no. so then they're he drags him. it away from the defenders yeah. into space and turns around and suddenly he's created a, a really quite nice open yeah. shooting space for him and then yeah. hits it very very well yeah he's in the Vincent Company zone there we go and that's, <laughs> I mean that's what it takes so it's it's a good moment it's a good individual moment and yes I guess it's a good kind of series of moments some good changes from the kickers but it's probably still overall not what they would have expected to get out of this game and it doesn't leave them in that much better of a position they're now what two Two and two after six yeah. games. Third, third in the table. Third in the table. But there are a lot of games, or a lot of teams who have played a lot fewer games. Yeah, and there's a lot of teams. I mean, like every other team except Orlando City B yeah. are behind them on seven points. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So the the table doesn't tell the truth at the moment. Mm. But um, kickers in the playoffs. Just the table's a bit wonky. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, we'll North Texas SC top played four one four. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They got so. the most points you can get from four games. So they're good, is what I think we can comfortably say. Uh, The Richmond Kickers, though, looked very good in their U.S. Open Cup game last night, uh, which they beat uh, Virginia United Mm 6-2. A very good result for the Richmond Kickers. One goal from a short corner. Do you and Bobby talk about that? Uh, We do. Oh, oh, do we talk about short corners? What what can I do to set this up without stepping on things that Bobby has already said? You can just say, why don't we turn it over to Taylor and 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 Bobby talking about the U.S. Open Cup game. Do you guys talk about the lineup changes? Uh, yes, we do. Oh, okay. In, in a somewhat abbreviated fashion. So, yeah, we should say kickers did change it up a little bit. You still had Joe Gallardo starting. He only played 45 minutes. But you had, like, Braden Troyer starting as a center back. Magales mm-hmm. starting alongside him. So both Shinoski and Akwe rested. You had, uh, like, Lockerbie come back into it. So you had some kind of fullback rest as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, and then especially as the game went on, once it became very clear the kickers were going to win, then the substitutions, you take out more experienced players. You put yeah. in uh, younger players who you're trying to get minutes to. You saw like uh, Justin Grove, mm-hmm. my namesake. I don't believe we're related, but I was quite excited to see him get a, it's a always confusing. get some minutes in the sort of Joe Gallardo understudy mm-hmm. role. Looked like he got the most skills of anyone have I've ever seen anyone have with the second name Grove. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's another Grove out there who would challenge for that title. But until we find that out, yeah. we'll just turn it over to me and Bobby. Sound good to you? It does. All right. Joining me now, instead of Daryl Grove, I've got Mr. Bobby Warshaw. Bobby, thank you very much for taking the time after what I'm going to assume was a busy night last night. A busy night, but a good night. It was fun. Uh, so you called multiple U.S. Open Cup games last night. You've got uh, one more still. Uh, how did the kickers rank in terms of the two games you you uh, you called last night? I would say that they well they won easily. They won six mm-hmm. two, so they're undoubtedly the better team in their game. Um, but I will say the other game I had involved Cal FC, mm-hmm. and you know where you know the name Cal FC from? I do not. 
So they beat the Portland Timbers in 2012. They were the last uh, amateur we team go. to beat an MLS team, coached by Eric Winalda. There it is. And That's right. And their coach now, although he wasn't the game last night because he had other obligations, is Keith Costigan. <laughs> and what Calisi does is they get all the old pros in the L.A., Southern California area. So they have Danny Barrera, who just last year was in the USL, played Sac Republic, USC's national team, or Baruch, who played for the Chicago Fire for a while, Oscar Sorto, who was, with the, I think, the second L.A. Galaxy homegrown. So they have all these ex-MLS players that's playing amateur soccer. Um, so they balled out. They they did some nice stuff. Um, is, is this is this related to Hollywood United, or are those two different things? I believe there's. I don't know. I was. I, I don't know for sure. All right, but that sounds very very familiar. How do they How do they make out in the end, though? Five one, five two. They won easily. All right, so they win easily. The kickers also winning easily last night. Uh, you called that one uh, via monitor, obviously. I'm wondering uh, from some of the footage hey, I saw. Hey, be quiet. Be quiet. <laughs> chill, chill, man. Well, I think it was. Tell people this. I think it was only when uh, only when the glaring sun was in your faces that uh, you and um, forgive me. Who was your, who was the play by play announcer? Jordan. Jordan, yes, I think you guys were both sort of like, uh, I, I, that, yeah, Virginia United on the ball. Like the sun was kind of right in the face on a couple of occasions. Uh, how helpful was that in your sort of analysis overall? Doing it from the monitor? Yeah. It's interesting. I've never done it before. Really? But what happens is down in, down in Florida, there's a company where they just bring, you know, 15 people in and they have 10 rooms. They have a room for the, the broadcasters and a room for the producers. And it's not ideal, right? I know we all want to live in this world where teams or companies can fly people all over the country and do it on site. Um, but the fact that they even have the capability to do what they're doing, because without it, we wouldn't even have this quality. ESPN Plus wouldn't be able to do the game. Uh, so it's definitely a new experience. And I found calling the game, I didn't, I didn't feel at a disadvantage having the monitor there um, yeah. opposed to being on site. It's just something new you have to learn. Yeah, that makes sense to me because I mean I think and I think it is for me different from maybe league games. I think there are some games where I would prefer there be people there for the league games. I think for U.S. Open Cup that we're getting the coverage we're getting that we're able to watch all these games if we so choose. That is that is pretty awesome and to have some good analysis from people like Bobby Warshaw. Uh, I also very much appreciate. Which leads me to my next question. Um, heading into this game, I'm wondering. I know you did a, a, a decent amount of preparation for it. What were sort of your tactical notes or things you were going to be looking for? in this game and how did those notes hold up uh, by the end? So going into the game, the best you can do is, you know, watch a couple clips on ESPN Plus of the teams. Um, but, you know, like we we're doing this amidst the other tasks in our job, so we couldn't do a ton of that. We called David Mueller, we called the the Virginia United coach, and just were honestly, how do you want to play? Walk us through your team. And the big thing on, on the Richmond Kickers were two things. One, keep the ball on the ground. And, and Bulow is honest. He said, we play very similar to the Columbus crew and Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. If you've seen Berhalter, that is what we will try and do. You know, it's not exactly the same. It's a little bit of a cousin. But that was the template he gave me. And the second piece was that they never take long corner kicks. They always play short corner kicks. Then, of course, the first two corner kicks, they kick it, they lump into the box. And I look like <laughs> a jackass. <laughs> do you think there was a little bit of trolling there? Was that on purpose just to kind of make you make you look foolish from the outset? My guess is that they were playing a team that had no idea what to expect. Cause they were honest. They didn't know anything about Virginia United. Virginia United didn't know anything about them. Because Virginia United is this new team mm-hmm. from this new league. Uh, there is no information on them. So I suspect what Beulah wanted to do is whip a couple into the box, get them feeling complacent and relaxed on the corner kicks. Because after that, they all went short. And they actually got a goal 
maybe on their third or fourth one. So the plan were, it just made me look bad, which in my hierarchy of needs, <laughs> I would have preferred. <laughs> that's that, yeah, that may, that makes sense. I think that that that's fair to want to be right on the corners, especially they do tend to take them short, much to the chagrin of the like the Red Army and the fans here. Where do you come down on short corners, Bobby? Do you see the merit, or would you prefer lump it in the box and see what happens? Oh man, you're not ready for this. You are not ready. For this. <laughs> I'm a big short horse. My it drives me absolutely bonkers that we that any soccer team whips balls into the box. It's a, to me is the most insane thing in this sport. We have a lot of insane things left uh, to figure out with soccer, but this is the main one. I mean, if you think about it, you have a chance to put the ball on the ground with no pressure, take as long as you want, and have your teammates do coordinated movements that you already know are going to happen. The idea that, that people lump three kicks and corners into the box, to me, is the same thing as if you were a quarterback and you said hike and you threw a Hail Mary every time instead of running routes in which you and your teammates know what you're going to do and you use that inherent advantage. So I, actually, I totally despise long corners. I think they're totally idiotic. I think there's an element where you can, you can put the ball long into the box, but why you wouldn't do it after a couple of short passes, because the longer the, the defense has to mark, the harder it is. So why you don't just play a couple of short balls and at least give the offense a couple extra seconds to get free? And then with even if you're even if you're risk averse and don't want to risk getting transitioned or having to work too much on patterns, there are things you can do that are better than just doing the first long ball into the box. I knew I could get you going with short corners. I knew I could. I, I like to think that you actually stepped away for the first part of that answer. You were so animated, and then you came back on the line to kind of uh, <laughs> fill it all in. I appreciate that. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for the passion uh, this morning. Um, what about the other aspect of what the kickers were going to try to do, keeping the ball on the ground, keeping it moving? Did you see some of that, or did you see areas where maybe it could be a little bit better? No, it was really impressive. I mean, they had the defensive midfielder, uh, Retzlaff. Is it Nick was his first name? Yep, you got it. Nick Redslaff, first-year player, you know, his dad is a coach down in North Carolina, defensive midfielder, he dropped in, and they essentially, they, they defended in a 4-3-3, and they attacked in like a total, I don't even know what to call it, 3-6-1, um, with Redslaff dropping early right away. It wasn't yeah. as if he'd read the possession. He got in between the center backs right away, created three center backs. They would have the other center mids, including Joe Gallardo, who we didn't expect to play but did and was excellent. Um, and then from there, it was Gallardo and Bain, the two center midfielders, the wingers tucking in, and they've essentially had four center midfielders in front of the three center backs uh, holding their positions. And I don't love the idea of holding your positions, and I think that there's probably a reason that it hasn't worked as well for Richmond against tougher competition. Because what would happen is that Mwape would come in from the wing or Jackson would come in from the wing, and Virginia United's outside back would come with him, but not quite close enough to, throw, to put off the pass. So when Wape would get it or Bain would get it and, and Eli Lockerbie would be wide open down the wing, but you play a professional team who A, has film and B, has just seen the scenario, they're not going to have the outside back follow the winger in or they're not going to give Red Slap as much time on the ball as he did. So it worked well last night. It was impressive how rehearsed and how refined it all was but I can definitely see the points where it's not as effective against professional competition. So then when you go up against professional competition who maybe aren't going to track those runners inside, what do you then do? Do you, do you kind of like look to play it into the runners then? If, if you're in charge of that team, if it's a team that you're playing on, do you want to basically keep the ball central, or do you still try to find ways to kind of bait the, your opposition into mm-hmm. coming more narrow and opening up space in the channels? Well, at its most basic idea, I think what they're trying to do is a little bit flawed. And one thing I, I think is a new trend around the world is the idea of how you keep possession. Do you do it through 
positional possession or rotational possession. And admittedly, I made those words up, but only because I haven't really heard anybody else. I mean, I'm writing it down still, so I, th- I think it works. Positional so versus think, rotational. If you, yeah, if you think about positional, it would be what Greg Berhalter does. It would be what Pep Guardiola does. What Bob Bradley does most of the time at LAFC, where it's you have your single pivot, and then you have your two players high, and your two players high hold, right? It's the old idea, like, if he's in trouble, then you can come. But otherwise, I want you to stay. Stay in between the lines. Rotational is the, is the more of the idea of triangles and options right, left, and center, so you can go through combinations through the, through the lines. It's what Caleb Porter does. It's what Klopp does at Liverpool. It's a little bit more of what Sarri does, and there's some positional elements. And it's basically just, do you hold your position and trust that your teammate can hold his nerve under pressure and find you through the, through the lines, or are you going to come and help relieve that pressure with a shorter pass? And yeah, if you've got Will Trapp, if you've got Fernandinho, if you have these guys who can really hold their nerve under pressure and still pick up their head and find a 20-yard pass, then you can do it. You know, can, can Nick Retzlaff do that? Can Josh Hughes do that for the Richmond kickers? I'm not sure. So while I understand the principles of positional possession, I think you might have to be at a certain threshold of defensive midfielder quality, which doesn't take anything away from those guys, but, like, you know, Fernandinho is Fernandinho. Yeah, very true. So I do wonder if there's an inherent flaw to what David Bulo is trying to build, you know, at, at the kicker's level. We shall see, because it is worth noting, uh, Retzlaff was starting in place of kicker's captain, Maxi Rodriguez, who usually plays that role, uh, who does the same things, drops in to make a kind of a back three, looks for those kind of line-splitting passes. Uh, But I take your point, that it it is very dependent on that one player, and if that player gets pressured or comes under some sort of duress, then it makes it much harder for that system to kind of function. Uh, So maybe that's uh, a word to uh, future kicker's opponents, uh, one of whom will be North Carolina FC, who they'll be playing. Uh, in the second round of the U.S. Open Cup, uh, May 15th, I believe it is, Wednesday, May 15th at 7 p.m. Bobby, is there a chance you're going to be calling that one? I'm hoping. I'm trying to get the same game because trying to learn all these new teams is a little, a little much. So I'm trying to get the <laughs> Richmond Kickers again. I mean, I, I appreciate the work you did put in. Uh, with some of the familiarity you had, uh, were there any players that you had maybe higher expectations of coming in? I know you already mentioned Retzlaff, but I'm wondering, was there somebody? Because I know you have some like USL background. You've got some USL experience. Mm-hmm. I know some of these names you knew. Was there anybody you wanted to see or were excited to see play again? I was excited to see Joe Gallardo and Lee did. He played 45 minutes, and he was impressive. But I would say that every player on Richmond stepped up. Every player in Richmond showed well for themselves. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't a group of guys who start, you know, the biggest games or the regulars. But I thought that they all were impressive, and they all gave a statement um, that they deserve again. Nobody played poorly. All right. And any, any particularly favorite goals from that one? We'll post the highlights in the show notes for this episode. But I'm wondering, is there one that stood out, one that you enjoyed more than the others? Uh, for either team, there were eight goals total, 6-2 win for the kickers. So I was at the last goal by Virginia United by uh, Bernardo Madano was really nice. He had, had a quiet game. He needed, he needed to have a better game if Virginia United was going to have a chance. But the last one was nice. And I just love, I love re- repeatable patterns because they show that there's an idea. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like the old Bob Bradley saying, right? Like, do you have football ideas or are you just going out and doing random soccer kicking chance probabilities? Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, and the fact that Richmond scored two goals in basically identical fashion, the first lock could be played across to Boateng, the second he took in himself and shot. But the fact that they were the same pattern, the same movement, the same ideas, to me is a really good sign for a team. And I just enjoy seeing that. I enjoy seeing coherent thoughtful ideas in the field. 
So I thought both of those two goals were nice to see. I know your your weekends are full. You've got MLS uh, duty. You're doing a lot of uh, tactical analysis there. But if ever you find yourself down in Richmond, uh, be sure to uh, let us know. We'll we'll take you to a game, and then you don't have to stare into the sun. You can stare at the camera instead across the field. Maybe that'd be a little bit more uh, easy for you. It's high on my list. It's something I'm (laughs) dying to do here. I don't believe you, but that's very sweet of you to say. (laughs) All right, Bobby. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I know you've got another game to get to. Uh, But yeah, appreciate your analysis. Appreciate your call. Appreciate all that you do, uh, both for soccer in the U.S. and for the Total Soccer Show. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Taylor. I appreciate it.